Hello, this is Sylvia Harris. The name of my album is Saints in Praise for Your Glory, Lord. And you are listening to Moments of Grace with Dr. Butler. Our podcast has been nominated for five SPIN Awards. I would like to thank you for listening and also for your votes to the nominating committee at the SPIN Awards. Thank you all so much for recognizing our moments of grace. And we pray that you have a day of grace. Thank you. This is your host, Dr. Adrian Butler, and welcome to A Moment of Grace. Um, I hope you're having a great day. I know I am having a tremendous day today. This is the day the Lord has made. I um, One of the things that I love, and, and my guest today is, is going to help us with that a little bit. I've always loved history. History was uh, one of my favorite subjects. History, science, um, a little bit of math, not, not, not too much math. And of course, uh, I've always loved uh, English, loved the, the flow of, especially the old English. I've always loved the flow of old English, loved the flow of linguistics, period, uh, entomology of, of, of things is just part of, part and parcel, the things that I love, you know, where things came from, how things started. Um, and w- what I have found in the edicts of history and something I've said before, is that whoever controls the news controls the narrative. Um, whether you are, uh, there's, there's always two sides of history. There's the history of winners and losers, the history of the people with the technology and the history of the people that uh, were oppressed and did not have technology. It, there's just those two two sides of the coin. And, and depending on, what tribe you come from, depending on the absolutes in your life will depend on how you reflect on what you, you know. I was listening to a um, uh, interview the other day on one of the sports channels and they were talking about who were some of the greatest basketball players and they had a myriad of names, of course, Michael Jordan's name came up. And uh, I think the further out we get with history, then the legend grows a little bit more. Uh, people pass down through oral tradition, what they remember from their perspective. And it depends on what sticks. Same thing with Martin Luther King. It's amazing to me at now at this point in our lives that he was uh, considered a communist, considered enemy number one, hated in this country. And... Now everyone, I mean, absolutely everyone tries to quote Martin Luther King, even some of the worst racists I know try to cotton some of his quotes. Um, Because again, while history is going on, uh, we're resistant to it in the present. The narrative changes as the winner or people change. So my guest today is uh, Roderick Edwards, who has written a book, The History and Future of Black People, a Realistic Assessment. So Roderick, welcome to Moments of Grace. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for framing it that that way. I appreciate that. 
wonderful, my friend, wonderful. Uh, before we get started with our discussion, would you share with the audience who you are, Roderick? And and uh, you can even go into, you know, why you wrote this book, because right, this right. is an interesting, interesting topic here today, my friend. Well, the title is purposely bombastic, because as soon as you read that, anybody reads that title, like, what the heck would somebody write that book for? Right. So <laughs> purposely bombastic is a kind of attention. But I think it all started when I was in my 20s. I'm 53 now. I'm an adoptee. We'll get into that maybe a little further. In the, in the... Can, I, can I stop you right there, Roderick? I sure. have seen your picture and I've seen you in the back of the green room. There's no way. I'm in my 50s. What, what are you eating, guy? What, what are you? Because you look like you're in your 20s and 30s. No, I'm but I just want to say good genes yeah. and you're taking bigger good care of yourself. Yeah. Right I live there. in the woods, so that helps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not much touches you here. So again, this is one of my 10 books, just so you know, I'm not just this new author saying, hey, I'm going to come up with this idea and write a book. So it's, right. this has been long coming. But back in my 20s, working in Indianapolis uh, at, a, at a car wash, I constantly came across these really finely dressed black men on the corner. Yeah, I was like, what, are, what is this about? What are they doing? They weren't asking for anything. What were they doing? They were giving people's things. These were Louis Farrakhan uh, okay. men. So they were really finely dressed. And so I'm a curious person. I always have been. So I engaged them. Didn't know anything about what's going on. Didn't know anything about Louis Farrakhan. I was impressed by their dictate, their diction, the way they spoke, the, the, everything else. And I was like, this is different than what I'm used to. Because I came from an inner city. I came from a, a public school setting where a lot of times it's, it's the stereotypical, not good diction. You know, it's slang. It's, so I was impressed. Like, well, how did these men get this way? And so this kind of launched my whole concept of understanding more of black history in general and history how it affects it's american history really it's not black history and that's exactly what it is American right. History. So, right so i'm trying to see how this all works and, and this so this idea has always been in the back of my mind and, and now after nine books i think i'm ready to write this book and that's how it started and and there's more details on, on that that well, i want to give that frame right there as, so we can understand how it got there Got you, got you. Well, you know, um, and as we talk, like I said, we're, we're going to conversate, uh, you know, the questions we have are fine, but we're going to conversate because uh, one thing that I think, and, and let me change the narrative, let me change my narrative in my show, and you can call people what you want to, I never refer to people by color, because exactly. there's no such thing as white or black. And in fact, when my daughter was three years old, <laughs> it was amazing when she first heard someone call someone black she said they're not black they're chocolate right and and her best friend who's a little caucasian boy who lives in wisconsin now uh he was vanilla so even our children have more um insight than we do the the social ramifications of what we have seen socially have been marred around our history and i think that's what you're going to try to cover um, what you heard with, with, with these gentlemen, Louis Farrakhan's, uh, that came out of, out of the, uh, nation of Islam is nothing. I'm from New York, so I'm from the inner city. Right. Um, and what you're talking about, maybe you grew up with a, you know, different type of people, maybe a different dialect. Um, but we're, we're <laughs> like anybody else, just like the, the people that, um, live maybe in Kentucky or anywhere else, everybody's diction, everybody's language is different, right. depending on region, okay? So I just want to make sure I cover that because there's going to be people that are going to hear what you say and it's already right. going to get they're, them up in they're, arms. They're that, already upset. That. They're already, that's what this little guy's saying about, you know, he, he, 
all black people sound like slang. Right. Exactly. That's not I what know. I meant. I know you're right. trying to you're trying to oh, frame no, no. it, but that's not what I was saying. Now, my exposure to it at the young age, maybe that was. It, that, and that, was and that's what I'm saying. I want to make sure my audience understands because uh, my audience is all over the world. Yes. Not just inner city, not just, you know, uh, African-Americans, not just Caucasians. Right. My, my audience is all over the world. So I want to make sure they understand that's your experience. From 30 years ago. You, uh, yeah, but that's the only place you can speak from is from your experience. Right. And so, now it's different now. Oh, well, 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 like I said, that was your experience then. Right. So, so, um, so you feel, you know, what did you feel qualified you to at least get into the subject matter? Well, there's two because things. Because you were, you were, you were um, enamored, evidentially enamored by these young men and their linguistic skills and, and how they carry themselves. I was so, enamored by the fact that I had this narrow vision of what a black person was like then. It was just, I'm a 20 year old, it's like barely been 20. And so okay. I wasn't racist or anything, but it's just, this is my exposure to it. Then I realized that it's bigger world than, than the stereotype, the narrative that you said that, that we are always fed by whatever reason. And so it allowed me to continue to expand and understand that it's not about black and white, like you said, it's about people in general. Right. And so I began to see this more and more. And so two things I think qualify me. One, I'm an adoptee. So I was, I was adopted at age four. Okay. And adoptees don't get into this too far. Otherwise we're going to have a different show, but adoptees are outcasts by nature. We always are observers. We, we kind of don't fit in anywhere. Even if we're adopted and loved by whoever, we never feel like we're really part of anything so gotcha. i always had this observer outsider intake and secondly it seems like every time this discussion comes up it starts at the wrong starting point it always starts at oppression black people are always depressed and oppressed and blah 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 well if you're always depicting people in in a, in a downward way then that's all people are going to see first it, mm-hmm. i know why they want to do it but i want to see people as people i want to get right. behind and beyond all that and see where is Africans, for example, in Africa before anybody got there, what was it like? Of course. Things like that. And so that's mm-hmm. in the book. We go back from that and we look on that book and what it was like. It's, we always had a vision where uh, white Europeans came over in shiploads and, and just ran out in the jungles and grabbed black people and took them over to America. That is not how it happened. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what I also wanted to get into and figure out how does it actually happen? Can I tell the true story? Will people get angry if I tell the true story? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I get into in here. Okay. Well, like I said, I'm a, I'm a history buff too. So, <laughs> so, so some of the things you say, I may agree with some, I may not agree with, uh, but we are going, I haven't had a chance to read your book. I wish I had had, um, had, had, had gotten your book prior to you coming on the show. So we could have really had a, a formative discussion. Um, so, you know, again, um, from your vantage point, um, as a 20-year-old young man growing up in the inner city. And let me say this real quick. I know you said you're an adoptee. We're foster parents. And I live in <laughs> I live in the rural South right now. I'm a, uh, like I said, I'm a kid from New York, prior military. My wife is a beautiful young lady. I had an opportunity to, to pluck one of South Carolina's best peaches. So we ended up staying and living in South Carolina. And uh, so I've had uh, a married of young girls run through our home and loved all of my babies that have come through. Uh, but I would say between 80% have either been uh, mixed race or have been Caucasian. And, and it's always amazing. Like I said, I live in the rural South. Uh, always amazing to have my 11-year-old 
uh, natural daughter with me and, you know, one of my uh, Caucasian uh, <laughs> babies with me. Mm-hmm. And the sad reality is that's a whole nother dynamic. And like you said, um, children, what I found with children of all colors, especially babies that we've had that were foster, just wanted love. Right. All of them call me daddy, whether mm-hmm. we were out in, out in the open at home or whatever, because the love is what mattered. And I think that's where humanity has gone so adverse that we have stopped loving each other. So now with that said, share with us some of your history, uh, well, well, your history um, research that may be in your books of what Africa was like, of what you perceive Africa was like prior to Europeans coming. Because I'm sure you, you're going to cover Musa Masa and what he did by coming to Europe and all of that. So, Right. Well, one thing I want to cover, especially on, on a show that I believe is, is Christian-focused, is the difference between ideas. Let, let me stop you there. Okay, I'm sorry. I hope we didn't get you get any uh, anybody that's listened to my show would already know we're not Christian focused. Okay, okay. We're, we're a family show. I'm not a Christian. I'm a disciple of Yahshua, a disciple of Jesus. So oh, okay. I want to make sure we understand that. I was going to use the word religious. Hear, yeah, when people hear moments of grace, they automatically think that this is a Christian show. We're a family show. And personally, I am a believer of Yahshua, not so much Christianity, because European Christianity has really destroyed what the Bible should be. So let me, I just want to make sure, because everybody who listens to my show already know, but no, I want no, to make definitely, sure. Definitely clarify. I, I listen to a few of your, your podcasts, but not right. to probably get in further. So I was going to say religious, but sometimes that's not expansive enough. Right, so. right. So, but anyhow, so we get into this and the ideologies are different. So a lot of times people want to put white against black or, you know, of white course. against whatever. And it's not really about that. If you dig more into history, you realize the problem has been technologized against not technology. Of course. Of and it course. has nothing, it has to do, that one's not better than the other. It's just one's technologized and one's not. Right. So when the Muslims before the Europeans got to, to Africa, the Africans were still using spears and such and such, such, not because they weren't advanced, because they had no reason to be advanced. Exactly. They, they, they no, lived in no a paradise. reason for right, right. Right. Exactly. They lived in the paradise. Everything was basically right there. You didn't have to struggle. I mean, you weren't living in the desert like the like the uh, Muslims, and you weren't living in some cold climate like the Europeans. So you didn't have to do all this stuff. You could just stay right there and be perfect. So when the Muslims came in, they were able to easily dominate. And then here comes the Europeans, basically through the the Portuguese, and they were also able easily dominate. So this is this is a struggle. But what I want to bring out is the fact that ideology is are different. So whether it's Africans or we're talking about Aborigines in Australia or even the Native Americans in America, there's a difference within them. They have this communal bond. It's historically it's just part of who they are. Mm-hmm. Whereas Europeans, and maybe it's because of the fact they had to struggle, and possibly even uh, Russians and, and Asians. They have more of an individuality mentality, and maybe it comes from the theology where you know they won't visit the sins on the on the son of the father, or that each individual soul is 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 uh, judged on its own. Whereas communal bond is each tribe, the entire tribe is is judged such and such. So you you see this contrast, and I think you have a mix of cultures that happen. It's more important to understand than just chalking it up to white against black. We need to understand this difference. And this reason I think it carries over even today when you see this communal bond. I know some of it comes from oppression because oppression causes that communal bond. But even before we get to that, Africans had this communal bond where it was all about the tribe. It was about the group. It was about, whereas Europeans, it's individual. And, and mm. so here's the clash of cultures. And I bring that out a lot in the book. 
Okay, so this is all through the book. I'm talking about how this technological difference, because exa example, no matter what you believe, how it happened, whether you believe shiploads full of Europeans came over and, and drug uh, black Africans to another place, or you believe that there was already a slave market from the Ashanti and the Ruba uh, tribes already selling their own, you know, pe people from uh, different tribes. It yeah. has nothing to do with the same. Right. It has to do right. with tribes, right? right. And because they lost the war, like you said in the right. beginning, if you lose right. the war, you, you tend to become the, exactly. the product. So that's what happened. So either way you want to believe what happened here is the difference is how in the world did a people, forget what color they are, a people get dominated by another people. Right. And it comes to technology and defense. I agree. And even when we get into American history, the reason that was able to continue on for so long is because there was no technology or defense. Exactly. So we get into, I mean, we even jump into the future into the, the Black Panthers. One of, one of the major things they did were making sure they were armed. Okay, you're never longer going to do this. Just we're armed to the teeth. You really want to challenge us? That's one thing they did. So I don't know if we want to jump around too much, but I also wanted to yeah, mention- let me, let, me, let me also cover, because I don't just want my listeners just to hear because they've 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 caught that historical racist narrative about the Black Panthers, right? We we also want to make sure we understand the Black Panthers also set up schools, they also set up um, feeding their community, right? They also set up education, and, and see we we focus on the negative as Americans, and that's where we stop. You know, okay, they they want to do the exact same thing the oppressors did was get weapons. No, they wanted to do much more. They eventually. Uh, Huey Newton and the Panthers wanted to set up banks. They wanted to have their own. Keep in mind, uh, 1919, 100 and so uh, between 100 and, and uh, uh, 300 African Americans murdered in the Greenwood District. Yes. No, 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 no. I'm not even getting there yet. I'm okay, just okay. talking about tech. <laughs> right. I'm talking about Arkansas. And, and, and Continue just, on. Yeah, I'm just talking about Arkansas. I'm talking about the overthrow of Wimbledon in 1889 where, um, you know, a multicultural um, uh, city, 70% city is, is overthrown by the red shirts and, and uh, other races, 2000 races, and they overturned that whole town and overnight went from 70% to 18% black where they ran out every African-American out, um, out of the community, um, the Greenwood district. So now um, this is what the Panthers was about was was really about community just what you're just saying was about right. community mm -hmm. but now what we can take away from what the government has tried to push on us that they were just not about community about protecting themselves now there's a problem we know this with with ronald reagan uh the moment the panthers came on the uh, on the state house steps with with open carry like was what was what had been in the in the state in the state of california for over 49 years, now he changed the laws. So we don't want to just, I want my listeners to understand um, when African-Americans are talking about defending themselves, taking that same technology that Roderick is talking about and defending themselves, it's not a bad thing. Oh no, I would, definitely wasn't saying that. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying that you were, mm -hmm. but I want to make sure our focus is when we talk about these historical contexts, that is, is not just about what Caucasian conquerors have done. And, and, and about when they start, when we start talking about defending ourselves and there's an issue, um, the Black Panthers are more than just that. So with that said, it, it's back in your, back definitely, in your ball court. Definitely. And I want to segue because you, you mentioned this. So on the top of the show, I think you mentioned Martin Luther King Jr. So two yes. things have gone, gone on in, in, in history of the, of the struggle, whatever you want to call it, 
in American history. So we had Martin Luther King Jr., who his concept was we need to somehow, to some degree, he wanted to integrate. He wanted to become colorblind. He wanted to see judge men by their, their content, their character, not the color of their skin. Whereas you contrast that with men like Malcolm X. And I'm, again, I'm not saying either one's good or bad. I'm just calling contrasting. So please don't misunderstand me. Mm-hmm. Malcolm X was like, no, forget that. We're proud people. We're going to carve out our own place. We're going to take care of our own people. We're going to do our own thing over here. And if it, it requires armed conflict, we'll do that too. But that's what we're going to do. So you had two different concepts going on. And for a while, white people were okay with the Martin Luther King Jr. concept. Like you say, even now you have racists that will say, oh, Martin Luther King Jr., blah, blah, blah. But when you mm-hmm. hear somebody like Malcolm X says, you know, no, we're going to stand up for our own rights. We're going to do our own thing over here. Oh, you can't do that. You know, so we have these two concepts are going on in history. And I'm not certain which one's winning out now, but it seems like a lot of the Martin Luther King Jr. Let's integrate is now being destroyed. And now even whether it's by black people or white people are saying, no, let's all segregate again. And I don't know, is that a good policy? Is, is that what we want to do? Because it seems like we're moving in that direction now. I agree. And, and, and again, you know we're having a discussion so let me tag on also after after um after x came back and he had left the nation of islam came back from mecca um 90 of his message was not separatist because he says himself he had an opportunity to see muslims that were uh blue-eyed blonde hair right he had an opportunity to see muslims that um were fair-skinned the the whole gamut so even with X, his whole um, opera, opera, opera is a uh, his, his, his operating vision was getting closer to King. Although what he was saying was, until that happens, um, if we need to defend ourselves, we would. I think he was more, uh, he became less of a separatist at the end of his life. That's one reason why he was murdered, because now he wasn't carrying the water of racism and separatism. I'm just being honest. Right, right. Uh, um, but now after he came back from Mecca and had an opportunity to see people that believed in in Allah the way he did, um, he was closer to King in the latter part of his life. Now, what I think has has occurred is, and this is just, again, an African-American coming back with uh, regurgitating what you've, you've said and how we how I see it. And before we do that, Roger, this is a great discussion. I'm, we're going to do a part two of this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so great. what we're going to, what we're going to do is I'm going to take a break. We're going to come back and you and I, we're going to do a part two. This is going to, we're going to just take a small break. We're going to come back. And like I said, we're going to continue this discussion. You, you're who I, I, I need to have on my show and who I need to talk to. So would you stay with us until after the break? Certainly. Perfect. All right. This is your host, Dr. Ray Jerome Butler, and we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. We're talking with Roderick uh, Edwards, who has written a book, uh, the history of history and future of Black America: A realistic assessment. And you can tell this young man knows exactly what he's talking about. I'm saying young man because that's what he looks like, even though he's my age. <laughs> he looks very well for his age. But we'll be right back after this message. This is your host, Dr. Adrian Butler. Stay with us until after this break. Hey guys, this is Dr. Adrian Butler. And I like to make you an offer. I don't know how you start your day, but I love to start my day with meditation, with reading, and especially with reading my Bible. I love devotionals. And I've written a devotional just for you. It is the Moments of Grace, devotional for a busy life. You can get it at our website at drajrbutler.com. Again, 
drajrbutler.com and go to our bookstore on the website and you can get my latest book, Managing the Miracle, Devotional for a Busy Life. They're $15. I don't pay shipping and handling because you are part of the Moment of Grace family. So that's our gift to you. So again, that is our latest book, Devotional for a Busy Life at drajrbutler.com. Remember, keep the light on. And we're back. So before we get started uh, with our, our guest today, Roderick Edwards, who's written a book, The History, uh, The History and Future of Black People and the Realistic Assessment. Um, again, we have a drive going on 99 cents a month here on, on uh, Anchor. For 99 cents, you will receive my latest book. And that's 99 cents a month. You're going to have to do that for 12 months, which is, you know, around about 12, 12 bucks. Um, we'll send you a copy of my latest book, which is coming out very soon. Um, and you will receive our new devotional, uh, Moments of Grace, uh, devotional for a uh, busy life. So uh, as you give, because again, I don't just want you to give, I want to give you something back. We're not just here begging for your money. Uh, we're not just asking for your support. If you have enjoyed the broadcasting, enjoy what we're we're doing here and support. And we thank those. Let me say this right now. We thank those who do support us already. Thank you all so much. And those future um, people that are going to support, we're going to send you our latest book, uh, Managing a Miracle, A Devotional for a Busy Life, 99 cents a month. So with that said, Roderick, thank you so much for being with us. Um, you've written this book, A History and Future of Black America, and a realistic assessment. Uh, before we um, took a break. We were talking about this great divide our nation is in right now um, between um, racially, whatever you want to call it. There's a great divide right now. Um, you know, the last 12 years of our nation, you know, look, and I think all of, I think right now where we're at, we're in a more of a political mindset than we ever than we were maybe during segregation. Uh, water hoses aren't being um, loosed on African-Americans or, or dogs and these things, but there, there are just, there's a lot of subtle hatred going on right now. And all of that has a history somewhere. So with that said, you were, you were sharing with us before the break, um, the two mindsets uh, of the civil rights movement, Kings and also uh, Malcolm X, who Malcolm X was very clear by all means necessary. What he was saying was defend yourself by all means necessary and also um, freedom by all means necessary. So pick up that thought where you were about this, that those two divides and, and where the history came from for those two divides. Well, excellent. So to reiterate, we have Martin Luther King's side, which is basically integration. Let's, you know, let's just all integrate and become one people uh, still keep your culture and stuff, but become one people. It's less about color and more about the fact you're Americans. That's what Martin Luther King's appear to be getting to and how he's being used today, whether he wants to be or not, that's how he's being used today. His words, his, his, his legacy. And then you have more of the, the Malcolm X 
at some stage in his life where it's more like we need to take care of ourselves. It wasn't even necessarily about separation, but if we're going to fix the black community, this is a Malcolm X paraphrase. If we're going to fix right. the black community, we have to do it ourselves. We can't rely on the white man. We have to do it ourselves. And what I really find, we talked about, you talked about politics a little bit. I don't want to get too off the subject because we can go on that too far. Exactly. But, but <laughs> yeah. paraphrasing a little bit, right. Malcolm X said a great thing. I'm going to paraphrase what he said. He said, the difference between the white conservative and the white liberal is one thing. They both want power. They both want domination. But the white, cons- the white liberal is more uh, devious because he pretends to be the, the friend of the Negro mm-hmm. and uses the Negro as a token. I'm using his words. Not right. normally his word. Negro, right. No, no, no. You're fine. So, so anyhow, he pretends to be the friend of the Negro and uses him as a token. Mm-hmm. I'm not certain that has changed much today. Oh, I agree. I mean, I don't want to get too far, but we if we have a presidential candidate who says you ain't black unless you vote for me as a white guy, mm-hmm. I was shocked that he said that. And that wasn't the end of his career before he even launched. But right, some, right. somehow he gets elected in and continues to say crazy stuff like that. Right. And we backed up a little bit. You said something about dogs and hoses. I know if I talk to people, I've talked to lots of people, white people, black people and all kinds of people and, and talked about racism and KKK and, and Jim Crow laws and, and like you said, the, the, the hoses. And they always pin that to the Republicans. And I'm not advocating for them. I'm just showing you the difference here. The literal thing is the Democrat Party created the KKK, created the Jim Crow laws, and were still the ones turning hoses and dogs on black Americans in the 1960s during the height of the civil LBJ, who was the, the guy who signed it. He was still calling people the N-word. Oh, of course. So, I mean, and now I know realize that people say there's a switch in the parties. We, we don't necessarily get in that unless you want to, but oh, we, is, we're going to get into it because oh, okay. again, I don't so, want the, to. Right, right. So, okay. Yeah. So the point is that we have, whether we're talking about parties, I'm trying to get away right. from the, the, the party lines. I'm talking about the mentality. The I mean, mentality. You, and, and you that's a liberal the, mentality and you that's have right. a, a bottom, bottom line. Right. Conservatives <laughs> typically, I think you're actually probably a conservative. A conservative typically just wants to see people as people. He really doesn't want to get into all that. Maybe all he cares no, no, about. No, no, no. Let me, let me, let me correct that because right. I think the true conservative. Right now, because let me, let me correct this. Um, We're talking about political yeah, conservative or I'm, ideology. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the political. I'm talking about ideology because right now, I think we have, we have taken the, and let me, let me back up again because, like I said, because I'm African American, most people would assume that I'm um, a Democrat. Right. Uh, or they would consume, you know, so on and so forth. I'm apolitical. OK, I'm, I'm very, I'm very selfish when it comes to my vote. Um, I'm looking at policy more so than poli- than, than party. OK, right. so so at least for me in the way I was raised, I was raised to think for myself that that's number one as as a not as a black man, not as a white man, not as I'm uh, as a man. I was, right. was raised to think for myself. I served this country. I'm fifth generation military. We served this country by virtue of what I feel about this country and what, what I feel this country could be. Now, let me back up and say this. Um, the outliers in politics have taken over. Um, there are very few conservatives any longer. The, the real ideology in conservatives, that's fine. That's not in politics anymore because if you say Donald Trump was a conservative, there's something wrong with you. And if you say Joe Biden is not a progressive, there's something wrong with you. So, so true conservatism and true liberalism has been taken over. Right now, that is the, the outliers. We've had outliers in both, in, in, in both parties, President Obama and Biden are progressives. That's all, those are outliers for uh, the liberal mindset. Uh, if it's Trump <laughs> and his 
in his mega clan, that's an outlier because that's not conservatism. And and, and I'll I'll stop there and let you pick up. Right, and neither is neither is the Bush uh, Bush. They're not really conservatives either. Just to make sure we well, no, they 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 were not, but they were closer to the conservative ideology. I feel than um, you know the 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 old uh, uh, Reagan uh, um, Goldwater or whatever you whatever you want to call it. Conservatism it has changed. Even, again, like I said, and let me let me let me let me preface this. The Republican Party right now, if you want to look at what the Republican Party is, not conservatives, Republican Party uses religion to uh, an abortion, because this is the one thing I get hit from by um, Caucasian conservative religion. All they really have to stand on is abortion. So you can do anything else. You can call somebody the N word. You can say Mexicans are nasty, dirty people. And but as long as you don't support abortion, they're with you. Okay, right. um, which right. is <laughs> is absolutely asinine to give somebody your vote because of that, because of a, something personal. Um, same thing on the opposite side. Uh, to be a so-called Christian African-American, but you support abortion and homosexuality and all these other things that are religious, eat against religious edicts, but you vote Democrat. So both parties um, are using everybody else because they're all oligarchs. They're all oligarchs. They're all oligarchs. Bottom line, it, right. it's all it's all supremacy, and they're using um, the ninety percent, ninety nine percent to keep them in power. And with that said, I'm done. Go ahead, my friend. My wife is going right, to listen no, to I, this, I, and she is no, going actually, to freak out. <laughs> Go ahead, my friend. No, actually, actually, all you did is just reiterate what Malcolm X basically said. He right. said, "You look." Right, because white conservatives and white liberals are the same, but some of them are a little more devious. They're right. all trying to trying to use you as tokens. One's going to use you as tokens to, hey, you, you got to be pro life. The other one's going to be tokens. You, you, man, you come on, man, you're not black unless you vote for me. That right, crazy stuff that's going on. Exactly. I, I'm curious now. I'm going to ask. I'm going to turn the tables on you, Mayor, because I have a question for you. Sure. What did you think? I thought Obama missed an opportunity. Now I'll. I'll tell you what I'm saying, but he missed the opportunity by allowing himself to be framed as the first black president when he's actually half black and half white. He could have actually bridged a lot of stuff had he kept, if he pushed back and said, hey, wait a minute, I'm not just black, I'm also white. He, if he did that, he didn't do it enough. What do you think about that? Well, I, I, think, I, I think Obama, he missed an opportunity there, but I also think with um, the way the, 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 the system is set up, I think it's one-fifth one ten one the one drop rule yeah one drop rule or whatever yes. it's still in the in the mindset to to in, to include keep in mind you have a party that said automatically when he came in that and that's how the 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 last guy got in that he was not from here right <laughs> so so what can you say behind that um I, I think there were larger issues to to deal with other than color as far as Obama as far as because he was going to be cotton as black bottom line that doesn't matter whether he came in and said i'm 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 you know and he never bought that out enough but everybody focused on where his father was from and that of course he could not have risen to become president of this country with a name like obama and to be african-american so he couldn't be from here so it had to be some kind of conspiracy i just think he had too many too many negatives to fight that fight and 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 we can see it didn't get very much passed. So you know the other side was going to make sure that 
as they said, he was a one-term president. So whether it was going to be a tan suit (laughs) (laughs) or his wife was a man and a a monkey and all this other stuff, there was just too much politically, too much to go through uh, to deal with, with, with that issue. And I don't think that would have bridged the gap because again, like I said, the last guy used racism to get in. So that's just my assessment. Uh, Following up on that, I also, in the book, I actually mentioned this in some, some places where his own party, Obama's own party, while he was being, he's just a candidate at the time in 2008, were saying crazy things like, he's going to get elected because he's a light-skinned African-American. He's going to mm-hmm. get elected because he doesn't use a Negro. These are, these are these people. Were, these were African-Americans saying this, and I'm with you 100%. And, and, no, these were, these were all African-Americans. Guys, white guys. Yeah, right, yeah but, Biden, but I'm saying, we don't Biden. care what they say. As an African-American, I could care less what you say. Right. <laughs> I'm being honest with you. Right, right. Because racism is, is built in this country. So I could care less. But when we start that foolishness within ourselves, you know, we all have the same fight, no matter, you know, OJ found that out. He said, right. I'm not black, I'm OJ. No, we came to find out, buddy. They were going to destroy, <laughs> they were going to, they were going to bring the truth out because you, he, I believe he did that. Um, but, but for OJ, he could say he was OJ all he wanted as if his name over, overrode what he was seen as. So uh, even with President Obama, that, that it's crazy to me because of this colorism that goes on even within the African-American uh, culture. Go ahead, my friend. So you're segueing me into something else. And I hate to broach it this way because it's, as soon as you say this, people say, well, yeah, that's just, but I have African-Americans in my, in my family. So okay. I have an African-American, half African-American uh, nephew. Okay. And I had this, I have discussion. You, you can imagine the lively discussions I have with all my family. I can I'm, imagine. <laughs> so, but anyhow, so we're having this discussion, especially about the BLM and all the rioting and all that, you know, no justice, no peace. I said, right. Is justice really revenge? And I was just, I, mean, I sometimes I play the devil's advocate a little bit. I said, it's justice really revenge. At what point? I mean, what defines justice? Uh, when does it all end? I'm asking my, my half black uh, nephew this. Right. And he said, Do you really want the truth? I said, Oh, always. He said, I don't think it's going to end until we all inter- interbreed and become like a milky, you know, tan color. I said, I'm not certain that'll be the end of it either because we, as human beings, we always find something to be differentiated by. Oh, you got thicker hair, you got bigger lips, you of have you know, whatever. So I'm not certain that ends the, the problem. What do you think? I, I'm with you uh, 100%. Um, but I do think, and this is where I think we've gone off the rails, okay. is everything, the, this, this beautiful experiment that we have. And like I told you, I believe in, in, in what America can be. This beautiful experiment experiment we call America, and we keep touting this, um, but we're not seeing it any longer, is a nation of laws. Um, how we have progressed as a nation, keep in mind the constitution was written even before we had electricity. So there's certain things within the constitution and certain ideology and certain thought processes that just just are not for the modern time. We're getting ready to start having electric cars. They even have, they still had horses and buggies. So, you know, we went through several iterations of technology and we're still living by this you old mean, edict of, of the constitution. And, you mean and, law, laws on where you can hit your horse aren't relevant anymore? <laughs> not relevant okay. anymore, my friend. Okay. Okay. You, you hit a kick a dog these days, you were going to jail and you know that. So, so what, what, well, since we are a nation of laws, then we should be, and keep in mind, I want everybody to listen to what we call and what the constitution calls the people we elect to call lawmakers, lawmakers. And they're supposed to be there for the betterment of 
the nation. Not just the betterment for a certain community, not just the betterment of a certain race or a certain party. I keep saying policy because I don't even believe in party. I believe in policy and people. That's what we should be, not cult of personality or party, but policy and people. That's what they're there for. So now if we can't write out because um, biology, as your, as your nephew said, is not going to fix it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> biology is not going to fix it. The way we fix it, I feel, is laws. And that's, that's the, those are the levers of politics, of a democracy, of a republic that should be pulled to um, root out these mentalities. These, because they keep in mind, keep in mind, like I said, uh, until the last 12 years, we had some decorum between um, the tribes. You can call them races, whatever you want to, between the tribes. It was some decorum. The, uh, the moment President Obama got into, into power, I think there was a certain segment of our nation that said, okay, we've got to change the laws because um, <laughs> there, there's an opportunity for um, another Black president or another person of color becoming uh, at the highest pinnacle of, of this nation. And I think they just threw the laws out. They no longer want to work together. They no longer want, and, and I truly believe, I have a, a friend of mine, Roderick, that's a, um, he's close to being, he would, he would have, he would freak out if, if, if he heard me say this. <laughs> he's close to being a billionaire. Known him for years. We're good friends. He's done very well in life. Uh, we've done a lot of business together. And this is what this guy said to me back in the, the 90s. He said, uh, you know, Andrew, um, there's two things in this nation that run this country, money and race. That's it. If you, if you look at the history of our nation, it's money and race, okay? So if I look at this guy who's almost a billionaire, and I look at the people that are in power, so I want to ask you, so you asked me a question, Roger, so now I want to ask you a question. How in the world can an elected official go in with $120,000 and come out after 10 years of a millionaire? All of them from both parties. It both keeps, parties, keep, my friend. It keeps happening. Now, both parties. You, I want to segue in something. So it's just in my book. It's called, I think it's a chapter. It's called Origin of Rights. Okay. And so a lot of times we think about the, the Constitution and the laws in this country were written by, a lot of people will complain, written by old dead white guys that don't know what they're doing. They didn't consider blah, blah, blah. Well, mm-hmm. there's some truth to that, but there's also some another truth to it. The other truth is when they got together, they looked at history in general and they said, what has never, what has, what, why do nations keep failing? What is the problem? And what they did, I think they pinpointed on it correctly, no matter what their color is, is the supremacy of the individual. Mm-hmm. We talked about this from the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. It really is when you, when you just decouple yourself from whatever tribe you think you must defend, and you say, I'm going to stand on my own as a man or a woman, and it still be part of that tribe. That's kind of how the nation was originally. You know, all men are created equal. I know when they said that, they didn't, maybe they weren't thinking about black people. They weren't of thinking course. about women. But it, do, it doesn't change the truthfulness of that statement. I agree. I and agree. so we used to be a nation where the little old lady who lived by the highway they wanted to put in said, hey, no, I'm not going to do that. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do anything. They would have to build around her. Nowadays, it seems like the individual does not matter. If you get a large enough majority and it doesn't even have to be a numerical majority it could just be a loud majority of people they can shout down 
the individual now and do what they want to the individual. Hmm. The Constitution of America was built for the individual. It exactly. really was built for. And unfortunately, we're now getting people who want to go to, and I don't want to too far on this, but to more of a socialistic concept where it's not really about the individual, it's just about a majority. And I don't think that's a good thing either because it destroys the individual. It destroys innovation. It destroys entrepreneurship. It destroys a lot of things. And we need to get away from that hmm. before it happens. I got you. I got you. Well, well, Roderick, let's do this. We're, we're going to, um, we're going to take, uh, uh, we're going to end this episode. Um, and, and we're going to ask our audience to come back uh, in a few days and pick up the next episode of you and I discussing your book. This is, this is tantalizing to me, my friend. I, I love this. I don't, I don't usually, and none of my other guests, please don't, don't get wrong with what I'm about to say. I love history and things of this nature. And I love these discussions because again, um, the only way that we can move forward is to kind of take a look back and see what, uh, what we've done wrong. And we should not want to repeat those things. I, I often say, you know, time, <clears throat> time makes you uh, accept what the mirror refuses to see. You know, <laughs> you know, you're going to get older and there's certain things that's, that's just going to ache in, on your body and certain things are going to ache in our society. Um, we should we should be growing instead of taking a step back as a people, as as a nation. So, Roderick, stay with us and we're going to um, we're going to end this episode, but I want you to, to come back with us on the next episode. OK, excellent. Wonderful. So we've been talking with Roderick. This is um, this is episode one of the of, of Roderick's book, The History and Future of Black People. And um, uh, stay with us uh, and come back with us on our next episode. We're going to continue this conversation uh, with Roderick Edwards who is this author. This, this, uh, as you can hear, he's done a lot of research, uh, both personal and professional research. Uh, and he is very well versed in, uh, in our history as a nation, um, not just the history of, of African-Americans or of Caucasians, uh, but of this nation. And so uh, we're gonna come back uh, and have our final discussion with Roderick in our next episode. This is your host, Dr. Ray Jerome Butler. Come back with us. We'll be here and we're going to have a great time.